in every way imaginable and in ways we can't even imagine. And I did that to you. We did that to you. They didn't do that to you. So may we own that knowing that you own us. And as Abby so sweetly reminded us, your grace is sufficient. You learned obedience through the things you suffered so that when you came to the garden and one final time right before you came to the, went to the cross, you said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. And so often, so many of us in this room, our hearts cry out, Lord, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But he learned obedience through his suffering. And so we join in that suffering and say, not my will, but your will be done. Because your plan is best. Because your wisdom is the wisdom of the wise. Because your grace is sufficient because victory was found at the cross you walked to. And if your grace is sufficient for all sin, then it is sufficient for victory, and it is sufficient for us to live consistent with who we are. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your possession, so that we would walk out of here today proclaiming the excellencies of the God who called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. That is our victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Satan has no place here. And in the name of Jesus, we compel him and his demons who are real from here. That your angels would surround us and do battle on our behalf because the souls of people are at stake. And that's a forever thing. So as we continue to worship you in your word and we see what the beginning of forever looks like, I pray that we would come that we would come in mass, not just here at Cornerstone and not just here in the valley, but all over the world, that we would see the world through the supernatural lens of Scripture and we would compel people through the power of that Word and the power of your Spirit to come to the cross of Jesus Christ and there find our soul rest. And I pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat. Something we say here a lot is what comes to mind when you think about God might be the most important thing about us. And I would say a close second would be what comes to mind when we think about eternity might be the most important thing about us. So what comes to mind? Believe it or not, we are finishing the series that we called Already Finished But Not Yet Done. And as we go through this series and we, and we think back to where we have been, not just in Revelation and Daniel, but even all the way back to the last resurrection season when we were looking at living life through the cross-centered lens and filtering all of our life through the cross of Jesus Christ and then seeing what that looked like in a life like Paul, the Apostle Paul, when we went through 2 Timothy and we saw how he ended his life in that, in that regard and then walked into Revelation and Daniel and we saw that we live in this space between the gardens, between the fall and the new garden that will be in the new heaven and the new earth. 
We look forward, guys. We, we are looking forward and, and beginning the transition even today of looking forward to what he has in store. Because as was prayed even this morning in pre-service prayer, the same God who fulfilled, fulfilled all the promises in his first coming, his first advent, is in the process of doing that in his second. And that's what we will celebrate as we enter into the advent season and look at the, the first advent, Christmas, through that lens of eternity. Because that's where our hope is found. Guys, the suffering and the pain and everything that we've been through or go through or that you're going through right now isn't about now. Carrie and I were talking about that on our way home from a, from a, a great time listening to what God is doing all over the globe um, in, um, in, in just the church, which is exploding everywhere but North America and Western Europe, by the way. It's, we were talking about how we have to keep this perspective of what we are going through today isn't just that we would look more like Jesus tomorrow, but it's because he is preparing us for what we will do with Jesus for all eternity. And we need to embrace our suffering and our pain and our trials through that lens. God is telling an amazing story. Right? He has been telling the story of creation and then the fall in the garden. And from that point on, he is revealing his story of redemption through the, through the cross of Jesus Christ. And then ultimately through restoration, which is what we've seen in Daniel and Revelation. Revelation is a book that was written to remind us that now is not about now. Daniel is a book that was written to remind us that we are to live for something bigger and better than just our best life now and even our hope for tomorrow. But we're to live for forever. Right? We are pressing forward and leaning in to eternity. That's what we're called to be as kingdom people living by kingdom power for kingdom glory. Not our kingdom, his kingdom. So after five months, five plus months, we started this back in June, 34 chapters in this book, which were pretty meaty, 24 different messages, are you ready? That's the question we're asking today. So are you ready? So are you ready? Because I know I am. Right? As we go through this, I would ask you to consider on the back of your connecting points, there are what we call table talk questions. I already read one of them. The other two say this. I'd ask you to consider this as we wrap up this series. And even as you talk about this around your dinner table, on your way home, um, with, with your small groups, one of the questions says, everyone lives for eternity. The only question is address. Do you know yours? And how can you get better? How can you better be used by the Spirit to help others find their permanent residence in the presence of God? And then lastly, and Jeff mentioned this in the invocation time, who can you invite into the kingdom in the coming weeks? Pray for the courage to enter into kingdom conversations as we go into the holiday season. So are you ready? So here's, here's the question we're going to answer in, in, the, in the last page of your Bible today. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Somebody will put a Bible in it because we'd love for you to have one. You can keep it if you don't have one or you can just use it for today if you forgot yours. But here's the question for the day. What's left on your packing list before you take your trip into eternity? What's left on your packing list before you take your trip into eternity? So open up your Bible to Revelation 22. It should be relatively easy to find. Kind of like teaching Genesis 1. Now, some of you have those study Bibles that has like 
400 pages of other stuff in the back of your Bible too, um, so maybe it's not the last page, but mine is pretty close. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 6 where we left off last week and look at, I'm going to answer the question in a series of three questions that I want you to think about. Do you have your God-worshipping garments on? That's the first question about your packing list. Do you have your God-worshipping garments on? So look at chapter 22, verse 6. And it says, And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things that must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who who needs the words of the who I'm sorry who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Quickly, simply, just real quick. Quickly does not mean soon; it means immediately. It's the picture of when he comes; it will be an immediate appearing, not he's coming tomorrow. That's not what he means by quickly. But guys, I want you to remember what what I want to point out just quickly before we move on is look at where he says, "Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book." If you remember way back five plus months ago when John, who's the writer of Revelation, says in Revelation 1-3 that there is a blessing to those who hear these words, who read aloud these words, and who obey these words. That's Revelation 1-3. So he's going all the way back to that. But here's, our, here's been our struggle in this, in this book of Revelation and in Daniel. How far in do we press into the details? This is when we get into books of prophecy. How far into the details do we press and, and start looking before we lose the big picture? Or how far back do we pull so we can see the big picture before we start losing track of the details? The main thing needs to be the main thing. The main thing of the books of Daniel and Revelation is what I already talked about. It's this idea that these books are given to us so that we will see what is coming, and it will motivate us to live for then. It's not to figure out all the details. It's to see the world through spiritual eyes. We are spiritual beings. That's why when Sean got up here and shared, some of you are unnerved by words like tongues and by words like gifts of the Spirit and a moving of the Spirit. and how Guys, we cannot pray for revival and then expect God to work in our box. That's not what revival is. Revival is not, God, do what you're doing right here in our safe little box, but make it bigger. Revival is, God, do what you'll do, and let us be okay with that. And we can't look at books like Daniel and Revelation, where we have seen supernatural things, and go, God does not work supernaturally. Guys, every salvation is a supernatural story. Right? That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what we need to embrace. But we need to keep the main thing the main thing, and ultimately that is the glory of God through His Son Jesus Christ that souls would be saved. We are to be glory revealers. Now look at what he, he, we keep going. It says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. This is John the Apostle. It's the end of his life. He's on the island of Patmos, and he's, we've been through this season with him. You can imagine him writing, trying to write all this stuff down. It says, and when I heard and saw this, this angel shows up again. He's had many of these show up. I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel and who showed me these things. But the angel said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren, the prophets and those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. That's where I get the, the do you have your God worshiping garments on? 
So here's this angel. Guys, it, it, it's, it's worth the time to say how we've seen lots of angels. Angels are real beings. We've seen this throughout this study. We've seen that in right here at the end of the Revelation and in the beginning of Revelation, an angel is the one that shows up to give John the Revelation. So we've seen him, we've seen how angels give Revelation. It's Gabriel comes to Mary. We're going to see that at Christmas time. He, they are revealers of God's glory. They are proclaimers of God's truth. They're on our side and we're on theirs. In, in Revelation 2 and 3, we saw how it talks about how the, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, right. To the angel of the church at Thyatira, right. They are protectors and guarders and directors of the people of God. We've seen that. We've seen that they are worshipers of God. In Revelation 4 and 5 and 7, we kept getting glimpses of how they are worshipers of God. And there's, just like in, in Isaiah chapter 1, when, or chapter 6, where it shows these, the seraphim circling the throne of God. These are real beings that are really among us right now. And they long to look in at souls being saved because that's something that they're about, but they don't get. There's no redemption for the third of them that fell. So they long to look in at the grace of God as he gives it to us so undeserving because they don't, their brothers don't get that. And then we see how they are also like God's, they, 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 they blow the seven trumpets. They're the proclaimers of, here's God's story unfolding. They pour the seven bowls of wrath. They're these four um, creatures that lived at the four corners of the earth who were holding back the judgment of God as God again and again through Revelation kept saying, I want to be, come to me, come to me. I'm trying to wake you guys up. I'm literally shaking the world to wake you up and you're still not listening. The angels were part of that. In Daniel, we saw this powerful scene in Daniel chapter 10. Do you remember? It says, Gabriel shows up. We think it's Gabriel shows up and he says, The minute you started praying, I was sent. And 21 days I was doing spiritual warfare with a demon until Michael showed up, who is the, who is the archangel of God's armies. And he takes care of him so that this angel can come and tell Daniel what the prophecy is. They are doing spiritual battle on our behalf. And when we pray, we are strengthening. Now, we don't pray to them, but we are strengthening them in our prayers that they would do battle on our behalf for God's glory. Guys, the main point of this, though, is the very end, chapter, or verse 9. Worship God. Guys, that's why we were created. We were created to worship. We are every person who's ever lived is a worshiper. The only question is what? Right? That is the only question that we need to ask. But in order to be a God worshiper, you have to have new garments. Because Isaiah tells us that we are stained red. He will wash us white as wool. And in Isaiah chapter 61, he says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord my soul will exult in my God, and he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with robes of righteousness. Whose clothes are we wearing as God, as real God worshipers? Christ's. It is his robe of righteousness that is wrapped around us that allows us to worship God. So the question is, have you put Christ on? Is he in your bag? Are you carrying him in your luggage? Because if not, there's no entering into eternity with God on this trip. That's the first thing. He's, he, the, even the angel's like, don't worship me, worship God. Here's the second point we're going to see. Is your bag idol free? Is your bag idol free? Look at verses 10 through 15. 
It says, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still be righteous, and let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, here it is again. I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying." Guys, here's what he's, you know, those, last two, those, those last two verses, verses 14 and 15, here's what he's asking. Here's what, here's what Jesus is asking us today through this revelation. Are you in or out? Inside are the people who have washed their robes. They're wearing my clothes. Outside are the liars, sorcerers, and idolaters. He's asking us right now, are you in or are you out? But guys, here's the thing. The answer is in verse 11. The answer to the question of whether you're in or out is in verse 11. Look at what it says in verse 11. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. The one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. That's, so, so wait a minute, how does that answer the question? Here's how it answers the question in the way John wrote it. Guys, all of those, all, there's, there's four commands in that one verse which is rare in, in Greek in literature. So when you see this in, in the Greek, it's like, man, one verse, four commands. It's do wrong, be filthy, practice righteousness, keep yourself holy. Those are imperatives in the Greek. That means do it, don't doubt it. Just do it. It's, it's like a drill sergeant barking a command. You don't question me. You don't ask why. You just do it. Now here's the problem. Half of them ain't so good. So you're like, what's that about? Well, here's the, are you in or are you out? Question of verses 14 and 15. The answer is it depends on which part of, you, which part of verse 11 applies to you. Are you wrong or righteous? Are you filthy or holy? But here's what's interesting. It's really clear in the languages, in, in, in the Greek, because without turning this into a Greek word study, the, the, word do, the words do wrong... And the words practice righteousness are in what's called the active voice. That means, and I've talked about this before here, that means we're the ones doing it. So when it says those who do wrong and those who practice righteousness, that's our part in this. Right? If we're doing wrong, it's because we're wrong. If we're doing right, it's because we are now right. It's our job. It's our part. Are you with me so far? Here's what's interesting. When it, says, when it says those who are filthy or those who are holy, that's in the passive voice. Here's what that means. Somebody outside of you did it to you. So what does all that mean? So what? Here's what that means. Guys, what we do, are we doing wrong? or practicing righteousness, is an overflow of who we are. That's our role. I do righteousness because I, have, I am now righteous. I am. We just saw why, though, right? Isaiah 61, we can't lose sight of that. I'm not better than the world outside of Christ. Right? 
But so we, what we do is an, is an overflow of just who we are. But who we are is an overflow of whose we are. Who we are is an overflow of whose we are. Paul in Colossians says, he rescued us from the domain of, talking to Christians, he rescued us from the domain of darkness. Who, whose are we if we're in the domain of darkness? Satan. If you are in the domain of darkness, you are filthy and doing wrong. Because of who you are. Somebody outside of you is making you do it. The someone outside of you that's making you do it is Satan. If you're in that camp of filthy and doing wrong, that's why. That's why what we talk about here at Cornerstone isn't when we see, when we're out at the world, you're shopping for Christmas or whatever, and you see the world behaving very worldly, you don't look at them and go, ah, oh, how can they behave that way? Your instinct needs to be, of course they behave that way. They aren't born-again believers. They don't know the truth of God's word. They aren't, they, aren't, they aren't empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are controlled by the enemy. They are living in the domain of darkness. Now, when it goes on, when it talks about that how we are to practice righteousness and keep yourself holy, keeping yourself holy is passive. Who made us holy? We just saw it in, in Isaiah. Isaiah 61. His robes of righteousness made us holy. We didn't do that. God did that to us. So our job is to tell that story to those people that are living in the domain of darkness. Why? Because, because that's, what Paul, that's what Peter tells us. That is what I prayed, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? So that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness, out of the domain of darkness, and into his marvelous light. He didn't choose us and pick us just so we go, hey, good job, well done, now just hang out. There's a, there's a so that to that. The so that is get out there and start telling people my story. Because they need to hear it. That's what those shoeboxes are about. That's what sending toys to Costa Rica is about. That's what going to Ethiopia, right? Ethiopia is about. That's what inviting your neighbor into your home is about. It's just about telling his story. And we are privileged enough to be part of it. That's the beautiful part. Verse 12, behold, I'm coming with me. I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. I'm not going to take time. We've taught on this before. Guys, reward, there are degrees of reward in heaven. This is not unto salvation. This is not talking about the reward of your salvation. Unfortunately, what we've done in the body of Christ, everybody listen, one, two, three eyes on me. If you just fell asleep, wake up. Here's what we've done. You are an enemy of God until the Lord, until the Lord, and, and, and even if your theology is good, which is until the Lord moves your heart to, to be born again, which is good theology, and from then on, you're good, you're good to go. Don't worry about it. But guys, th that is not it. That, that, that moment of being born again is the beginning of your walk with the Lord. From there on out, everything you do, what I mean is, what we're teaching people is that all, the only real reward is salvation. Not true. That's the biggie. But from then on, what you are doing is what Jesus said when he says, therefore lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy. All the rest of what you're doing from the time you are born again until you go to be in eternity is affecting what you will do for him in all of eternity. 
We are not just going to be sitting around. What they're doing right now is gathering around the throne of God, praising God. But when the new heaven and the new earth come down, we're going to be doing stuff. And you are not going to want to sit there at the bema seat of Christ, which is what Paul talks about, and see things that suffer loss, meaning had no eternal value. Right? Like you want as little of that as possible when you go into eternity. That means we do invest in eternal things. What are the two things on this planet that are eternal? The word of God and the souls of people, that's it. Put those two things together as much as you can. So here's the question a lot that goes with these questions. How does what we do show us who we are? Well, it's about our motivation. It's about our attitude. It's about everything from what do we love? What do we pursue? What, how are we spending our time, talent, and treasure? Those things will tell you whose you are. Those things will tell you what your idols are. Guys, we are all worshipers. We, even as believers, we still have idols of the heart. We do. What about things like living in fear, living in bitterness, living in anger? Guys, those are all things that we are clinging to that, are, that, we're, that we're not willing to release to the Lord. To get rid of. Who is your king? That is the question. Who's your king? If we get nothing else out of this whole series over these five months, if we get nothing else out of today's message, write this down. Who's your king? Who's my king? And then look at your day planner, look at your bank account, look at, your, how, look at what you think about, look about and, and answer the question with those things. If you're really brave, let someone else do it for you. I'm not sure I'm that brave. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I really don't like C.S. Lewis right now. No, really. Like seriously, because that just convicts the snot out of me, guys. Guys, let's not be a people that settle for mud pies. Let's... Every time I look at something with lust that I shouldn't be looking at, whether that's a, a pretty girl in, in the workout place or whether that's my phone that I want the new version of, guys, that is a mud pie. It is. And, it's a, and, and guys, I stand up here before you as a man just saying, and it's a fight. And if you're sitting here going, I don't have fights with mud pies, you're lying, there's your mud pie. Stop choking on it and just pick up something, and pick up something good and nourishing. It's a fight, guys. I'm not here to tell you, you know, like, 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 it's a fight. We're all in, but guys, we're in it together. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. Amen. We get to encourage each other. We get to challenge each other. We get to speak into each other's lives. We get to say, hey, here's, here's, here's I, I see you over there playing in the mud. Let's get on over here. Let's talk together and figure this out. I need that. Don't you? Last point. So first of all, do we have our God-worshiping garments on? Have we put on Christ? Second of all, is your baggage idol-free? Who has the throne of your heart? Who's your king? The last point, does closing the suitcase excite you? Does closing the suitcase excite you? 
Guys, let me ask you a question. If today was your last day on earth, regardless of the reason, you were going to die of a heart attack, you were going to go home to be with the Lord, or he was coming to get you, if today was your last day on earth, how differently would you live it? I mentioned Paul in 2 Timothy. This is how he, end, this is how he lived his life. The Apostle Paul walked, slaughtered Christians for the first 30 years of his life for more, and then walked with Christ for 30 more. And at the end of his 30 years of walking with Christ, he said this, For I am poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. But I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. And I have kept the faith. And there is laid up for me in heaven a crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge himself will deliver to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who love his appearing. And the reason I have that memorized is because I need to repeat that to myself daily. Guys, ministry's hard. I'm not saying that to point it out or what Abby, uh, I'm saying you're all, if you're, if you're a believer, guess what you're in? Ministry. But guys, pour your life out as a drink offering. Live your life to hear well done. So if you could plan your last day, what would it look like? What you would do speaks to two things. Your preparation, like how ready do you think you really are, and what you value. Again, listen to C.S. Lewis. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. Listen to this, guys. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. That, that could be the mission statement of your life. So let's look at these two truths in these final verses of this amazing letter. And then I'm going to, after communion, I'm going to come up and share one more thing out of it. So in verse 16, he says this. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. I love that. Don't have time to talk about it today. It's an amazing testimony on who David is in God's story. The bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take water out of, of, the, of life without cost. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him plagues which are written in, his, in this book. And if anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. There it is again. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. A couple things I just want to point out. One is, he talks about don't add or take away from this book. Guys, it's really easy for us to look at, Satan does that. Satan did that in the garden, was messing with the word of God. Satan did that with Jesus in the wilderness, messing with the word of God. Satan does that in cults. The Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, the, what they're doing is they're, it's easy, adding, subtracting the word of God. That's what they're doing. They're taking the truth of God's word and they're, 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 
building a big lie and they're wrapping it with just enough truth to make it sound good. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I, I mean, it is. It's certainly true, but, but it's easy for us to go, yeah, man, we're, you know, we're the church that stands on the word of God. Let's, let's drive it back to personal. Let's make it personal. Let's make it you, me. How, how, because it, it seems like any good, well-meaning, spirit-filled person would not add or subtract from the word of God. Any genuine believer would. But guys, I, I, let me submit that we do that all the time. It's not just the cults that do that. We Add and subtract to the Word of God all the time in our lives. How? Glad you asked. Here's how. I'm going to share five things quickly. By disengaging. By disengaging. By just simply not seeing a need to come to the Word of God. Not, I mean, we talk, right? My soapbox, it's sort of legendary around here now, reading and responding to the Word of God. Guys, if we're not involved in that, if we're not doing that, we are, we are by definition subtracting from the Word of God. But no, I'm not. I'm not taking anything out. We are not in it. Right? The Word of God was not written to be put on a shelf. It was written to be getting put in your heart. Second, disregarding. Disregarding. Intentionally ignoring what is written. Yeah, I know it says that. I don't want to do it. Third, disobeying willfully going against what God's word. I know it says that, and I don't care. Now, because we sit here and we say, you know what? I would never say that. You don't have to be around very long to realize, even in your own heart and in the hearts of people that you've discipled, and you've, is, is how many times someone who at one point in their life can say, I absolutely believe this about the word of God, and because of life's circumstances and the enemy's deception, they are now standing over here saying, what I believe there was wrong, what I believe now is God wants me to be happy. Right? I know it said that, I was wrong, I am now reinterpreting that so that it will fit my lifestyle, which is the next thing, distorting. Purposely twisting the word of God to suit our own thinking. Guys, all we have to do is see what's going on in the church, in the liberal church, to see what, how that's happening in the, in, to the word of God. Well, Paul didn't really mean homosexual. No, he really meant homosexual. Not that it's a bigger sin than Adultery or the lust of the flesh or anger or jealousy or strife, but he really meant homosexual. Last one, diluting. Adding traditions, texts, or other teachers as authoritative truth. Right? If, if, you're, if, if you're sitting here today and you're going, you know what, I don't really read the Bible, but I listen to this person. Who's your king? Amen. Who said that? I'm, I'm giving you a dollar after church. <laughs> yeah, nice try. You can pay me a buck to give to him, Daniel. Last part. He says, look, you know, I have to come here and then, um, and then we'll invite the music team up. It says in verses 20 and 21, he who testifies of these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. It's where we get the concept of Maranatha. Come, O Lord. Come, O Lord. Right? That's, a, that's a prayer that the church used to pray often and we need to pray more. I need to pray more. I journaled about that this week. I need to pray Maranatha. Come, Lord, because it gives me the proper perspective. If 
I knew today was my last day because Christ was coming back tonight. What would I do differently between now and then? Maranatha, Lord. Right? That's how we need to live. So after five months, 34 chapters, 24 messages, are you ready to pray that prayer? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Because the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with us all. As the music team comes up, I'm just going to pray that we would be a people who are dressed for, as, these are the words of Jesus, be dressed for readiness and keep your laps, lamps lit. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for that truth. I thank you for the truth that because of what you have done, we are dressed in readiness when we come to know you as Lord and Savior. Because your robes of righteousness are wrapped around us. That's what being dressed for readiness looks like. I thank you that every person in this room, every person in the sound of my voice, who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, is dressed in righteousness, is, is ready, that his bag or her bag is packed. Praise God. That is a work, it is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory and the praise. I pray for those right now in this room or in the sound of my voice who can, who have not confessed that with their mouth, who have not openly said to anybody, I have come to believe that Jesus is Lord. He's my King. That today would be the day that they would be transferred out of the domain of darkness and out of the hands of who they are being deceived by, Satan who hates them, and into the hands of God, a God who loves them. And for those of us that are clothed, may we keep our lamps lit. And may we do what Jesus said and not hide our lamp under a bushel or, or go huddle up in our homes, but may we put it on the rooftop. May we be a lighthouse for the gospel. May our lives demonstrate who's our king. In Jesus' name, amen.